You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back in. It's the Line 24-7 podcast Good friends, Daniel Gallen and Tyler Calvaruzzo coming up on this edition of the podcast. Lance Glenn back on board producing today's episode. Uh, he was away for a bit for a delayed honeymoon with his wife. Congratulations to them. Hope they enjoyed some time away. He's back to listening to Penn State football. And we've got plenty to talk about this week in particular. The Nittany Lions back on the practice field Monday. A lot of coverage coming your way. Mark Brennan, Grace Brennan, Daniel Gallen all on the practice field. Monday for our first look at this complete version of the 2022 Penn State football squad. Unfortunately, because I mentioned the end of last week, testing positive for COVID, dealing with some symptoms throughout the weekend, wasn't able to be out there for practice. Number one on Monday, I will be back in Beaver Stadium this Saturday for media day. Daniel will be there, uh, Mark Brennan as well. Good chance to catch up with players, coaches. Again, James Franklin hits the podium. But before we get to media day, we still have plenty to discuss. He'll hear about Lash Bash in just a little while from Tyler Calvaruzzo, another event in the books for Penn State's summer recruiting calendar. The final weekend of that summer recruiting calendar now behind us. We'll pick up the pieces a little bit, see where things are as the dust settles and what may be next for Penn State's class expansion in the 2023 cycle. But let's begin with that return to the practice field and bring back on Daniel Gallon to the Lions 24-7 podcast. And uh, Daniel, obviously it's a day that we always circle on the calendar, the day that Penn State gets to work for preseason training camp. And I know we've had the countdown going on the site from day 100, but this is when that countdown starts to get a lot more loud. Uh, what was it like out there Monday and, and seeing what finally is a complete Penn State roster as we saw Ken Talley, the last edition of this freshman class on the field, working with defensive linemen? It felt really good to be back out there to see a practice, to see kind of the full complement of Penn State. You made the point when we were talking before earlier on Monday that this is the first time that James Franklin has really had a full deck on a practice field or a field in general since that game at Michigan State to close the 2021 season. We obviously know that with the opt-outs and injuries, Penn State at the Outback Bowl wasn't really the Penn State that we'd seen. It wasn't really the Penn State that, that we'd come to know over 2021 especially on the defensive side of the ball so it was really good to be out there to see everyone um there weren't really any notable absences uh, ken tally was there all the freshmen are on campus that class of 2022 is here and now you can finally start to put the pieces together and it didn't hurt that it was also exactly one month from the season opener at purdue when we were out there on monday night it's not always who you see, it's who you don't see at practice number one when college football opens camp. And Penn State, 
far as we could tell, everybody accounted for, and that included Tally, as you mentioned, and that included P.J. Mustafer. It's one thing to keep hearing about him being on track. It's another thing to see him out there leading the defensive tackles through drill work. Uh, what do you see from number 97? Uh, obviously, he's got a month to get his legs back underneath him, prepare for, for game action, but a huge step forward for this defense and for the senior. It was everything you wanted to see out of P.J. Mustafer for practice number one. Obviously, you can't glean too much out of uh, shirt, helmets, shells, uh, wearing the game pants without any pads in them. Uh, very kind of light, light practice. But P.J. Mustafer was at the front of the line for the defensive tackles when they were going through drills. He's moving. Uh, he's you know, he looks like himself. He looks like P.J. Mustafer back there. And I think that's really big for Penn State in so many different ways. Obviously, if you can add a 320-pound body to that defensive line, that can go a long way. But the leadership, the poise, and his experience, I think, is really big for Penn State this year. Now, it's no surprise to learn that P.J. Mustafer is back at the front of that line during practice drills. I know John Scott's happy to have him back, Deion Barnes, and the rest of the coaching staff, because he really is an extension at this point of that staff, going to be a second-year captain. But a guy that we've also been kind of peering towards and wondering what 2022 is going to look like for him. You said he wasn't far behind in that line. Hakeem Beeman, now in his fourth year, year three, was essentially out of sight, out of mind for a lot of us. We kept asking about him until it didn't make sense to do that anymore. And he was just relegated to the practice field. Perhaps we'll get the full story and we'll be able to discuss it here in the podcast of why he was not involved last year. But there is some anticipation that Hakeem Beeman is poised to have that breakout maybe a year after people thought it might happen in 2021. He's definitely one of the more interesting cases of uh, of this fall, what we're going to see from him in preseason camp. I was going back through the old rosters uh, yesterday um, when I was working on something, and to kind of look at his weight fluctuation uh, over his time in Penn State, up as high as 298, as low as 251. I think he was at 269 last year, and he was at 261 on the most recent roster update in July. So He's someone to keep an eye on in terms of how Penn State is using him. Is he going to be, could he be in the starting lineup next to PJ Mustafer? Is he heavy enough to be in the starting lineup, play against the run? Will, will he be more of the versatile inside outside, being in on, on passing downs on the inside, maybe making some cameos on running downs on, on the edge? I'm really curious to see how they use Hakeem Beeman. I think you got the quote from Landon Tangwall uh, earlier this year about his Aaron Donald hands in terms of what he can bring physically. So I think he's someone who was pretty out of sight, mostly out of mind last year, but he was still practicing, still developing. And we can kind of see what see the other side of that in these next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think Tengwall referred to Beeman as the player he's most excited to see get to work in a game here in 2022. I think a lot of us are very curious what that's going to look like because it's been a, a long and winding path uh, since we last saw Beeman in uniform for these Nittany Lions on a game day. Um, elsewhere, out there at practice uh, with his teammates but not a participant, seems like he's going to maybe be on that Adiza Isaac uh, route during the season is Zariah Fisher. I thought that was interesting. Certainly good on him. Good on good on the staff for, for making him feel like a part of this team. He's been rolled out since the spring with an undisclosed injury for the season. A guy who was a up and comer viewed on the edge uh, and converted to linebacker earlier in his career. Not going to be on the field this fall. But I thought that was something that he was uh, that he was out there uh, and involved uh, to some capacity. That definitely stood out to me. Uh, I was mostly watching the offense and Mark was over looking at the defense and I was going through his photos and 
and his notes. And I saw that he mentioned Zariah Fisher in there. I saw Zariah Fisher in the photo gallery. And honestly, going into this year and doing some roster preview stuff, I kind of put Zariah Fisher in that out of sight, out of mind. Let's come back to this maybe that last week of the season just to get an update from James Franklin about how he's come along, what this year was like for him, maybe during bowl prep, uh, someone to keep an eye out on the practice field. But I think that seeing him out there, it obviously shows that Penn State is going to do what it can to have him involved as much as possible. Uh, PJ Mustafer kind of talked about the rehab process generally uh, when we were in Indianapolis last week about how it's pretty difficult. You have some lows and the lows when they come are really, really low, but your teammates are people that can really help you out of it. So I think that, you know, if they're keeping Zariah Fisher as engaged as possible, if they're trying to keep him around his teammates, keep him involved and in trying to continue as much development uh, as they can while he's sidelined, whether that's mostly mental reps or however they're they're framing it, I, I think that's really good. And it's just kind of nice to see someone out there um, in uniform with that helmet on, um, even though you know they're not going to play. It kind of shows the trajectory uh, that they're on, even though it's still pretty, I think, early in that process. And when I said Fisher was involved as a spectator and as somebody who's engaged with the team, um, you know, you're going to, that's really what you're going to see. Adiza Isaac to his credit was out there every time we were to see a Penn state practice over the course of last year, even though he knew he was not going to get uh, any game involvement in 2021. Um, those who we did see on the field that we were curious about going in aside from PJ Mustafer, Charlie Catchier, uh, fifth year linebacker. He was in a sling when we saw this team uh, in Beaver stadium for the blue white game. He was working with the linebackers this time around on the field. And additionally, Bryce Efner, not involved during spring practice, part of that equation that resulted in a uh, changeup on the on the format for blue-white game uh, with the lack of linemen. Efner now back on board. There's been some reinforcements that have come to campus since the spring, most notably Hunter Norzad making that transfer from Cornell, some freshmen coming on board. But Bryce Efner was a name that we've been saying, don't forget about him if he's involved because dating back to his signing day and, and – kind of proven over the course of his career, he has been a guy that the Penn State staff feels is a versatile cog. We've heard so much as him taking snaps at center at different points in practice, but it's really been about guard, about tackle. We saw him get involved again last year, um, and and he may never emerge as that starter in his career, but he has been a valuable backup for the Nittany Lions, and uh, we talked a lot about how depth was in a precarious situation coming out of April. Up until the Rutgers game last year, when uh, the, the illness that went through the team really forced Penn State's hand, they only really went six deep on the offensive line. And Bryce Efner was that sixth guy, no matter really no matter where it was uh, on the line, inside, outside. I think he played every single uh, position on the line last year, except center. I forget that Rutgers game. Things got a little hairy in there with guys moving around. Um, but that's a very valuable piece. And I think if you bring him back, he has that versatility. Uh, and just kind of overall, you combine that with Hunter Norzad coming in, with J.B. Nelson coming in, getting Salim Wormley back from injury. Suddenly, the depth on this offensive line looks a lot better. Um, I think last year, you look at it only going six deep. Um, they probably would have liked to go a little bit deeper um, if they could have in certain situations, but the numbers just weren't there. So I think Efner is someone that, you're probably not really going to think about him until someone goes down uh, and he's running off the sideline and, and lining up somewhere. And then he kind of pops back into your head, but he's someone that I noticed out there and took note of. And it's just good to see, have someone like that on the mend. You need kind of that Swiss army knife uh, along the line, especially when things happen quickly um, over the course of the season. 
Sal Warmly was a guy who was limited during spring ball, but was mentioned by James Franklin among the guys they had on campus in the spring as the front runner for that right right guard position. Dynamics have shifted a bit, uh, but but Warmly continuing his path forward like a Isaac uh, got that spring ball underneath him. Now going out and trying to prove it once again, take another step in the fall camp and. We talked a lot about this offensive line, where the depth is going to come from, where the new starter is going to come from. Lennon Tengwall is the guy we've circled for a while. I think there's certainly a lot of pressure on Hunter Norzad uh, to, to come in here and, and, and go win himself a job. But, you know, guys like Salim Wormley aren't going to step aside. J.B. Nelson came along during the spring. And this is just kind of, hey, you got a chance to go look at this group. It obviously looked better than it did in the spring. What is your initial right off the field kind of takeaway from this offensive line uh, because we've seen the unit gathered for the first time and it's something that we've had to imagine for a while. I've been thinking a lot about this over, over the past few months in terms of how the offensive line is going to be different, what's going to be different about it. And I think they have the potential to enter the season um, a little bit more physically talented. Um, it's obviously not a knock on Eric Wilson or Mike Miranda um, on their way out, but you kind of saw Neither of those guys got drafted. Mike Miranda didn't go, didn't even go through the pre-draft process. Um, and the guys that are replacing them or could replace them, I think, might project a little bit more favorably um, to the next level. I think you've gotten a little bit bigger, um, maybe a little bit stronger. Um, and I think that you'll, you'll sacrifice some of the experience for that, where Mike Miranda was a fifth-year senior. Eric Wilson had played a ton of football at Harvard. So I think that maybe some of the mistakes are a little bit different or some of the, maybe the shortcomings are a little bit different for the group, but there's going to be the physical side of things um, that could potentially make up for that. Obviously it's really hard to get a read on an offensive line until they're going up against a hostile defensive line. And that's still 29 days away, I think against Purdue. But I think that we'll see it come together over the course of the next few weeks in terms of physically what looks different and then we'll we'll find out when everyone else does how that translates onto the field. James Franklin said last week he wasn't going to project what this offensive line was going to look like. He'd let them prove it for themselves. Uh, they've got a few weeks to sort through it, but obviously a glaring spotlight on them. Uh, the backfield behind them. Um, I don't know if your heart stopped for a second, but uh, I know some colleagues walk on the field and noticed that a couple of the running backs were missing from practice number one. And uh, it turned out to be a class conflict with Katron Allen, the freshman, and, and then Kevon Lee, the junior. So you didn't get to see the whole backfield, but you saw all the quarterbacks in play, a couple freshmen in there, Christian Bayou, uh, all be working behind Sean Clifford. Uh, what were your early takeaways from that group? And I want to make sure our listeners know this was not 20 minutes of 11 on 11. You're, you're kind of following scattered position drills. Uh, and remember, this is practice number one. They got a ways to go before they're in full pads and actually hitting each other a little bit. Yeah, we, we had 15 minutes in there, and I tried to see as much as I could, and it ended up being mostly the offense. But took a look at the quarterbacks, took a look at the running backs, and I think that it's pretty much as, as expected. Drew Aller is a really big kid. You can tell he's coming along uh, in his development here. Um, I think he was up to 242 pounds on that most recent roster update. I think in terms of the quarterbacks in general, I think Christian Veyu is the most physically impressive, um, just in terms of build, frame, uh, how he moves around. Um, he's not necessarily as kind of, for lack of a better term, as wide as Sean Clifford is. Uh, Clifford's a little, a little bit boxier. Um, so I think that looking at that, that's impressive. And then the running backs, I mean, Nick Singleton, uh, he passes the eye test um, for 
for the lazy way uh, out of it. I think Mark, I think Grace Brandon had a photo of him where you can just see how well he's built. I think some people on the message board uh, were really impressed by that. So, you know, without Kevon Lee, without Katron Allen, you've got Devin Ford, Keziah Holmes, uh, Tyler Holsworth, the walk-on, and Singleton out there. Um, I would like to see physically how Singleton stacks up with Katron Allen and Kevon Lee, both of whom are, are regarded as sort of the, the bigger backs, um, kind of the, the bulkier inside runners. Um, but I mean, in terms of the eye test, Nick Singleton passes it. Um, seeing seeing him take handoffs from Sean Clifford, from Bayou, from Drew Aller, from Bo Fergula, uh, you can kind of see that there's there is a a future, I, I guess, in in the backfield as we keep going forward. Yeah, and it feels like the future at quarterback and, and it may be the present at running back. We'll, we'll find out very soon on what these newcomers can do for the Nittany Lions. And just going back to the, the, the eyeball test and sizing these guys up, Christian Veyu listed six foot four, 200 pounds on the latest roster. Drew Aller, six foot five, 242 pounds for the freshmen. So disparity there, but we've been saying it for a while. If something happens to Sean Clifford or if Penn State needs to go in a different direction there, at least right now, Christian Veyu certainly seems like he fits that bill. And these younger quarterbacks are going to have weeks, months to make their impression, make their mark. We'll see if they can get involved in some game action maybe early on. Uh, but Christian has some game action. He's got some experience under his belt. He's not the only quarterback on the – he's one of two quarterbacks on this roster who has that carryover with the offensive coordinator. Um, so, uh, again, been saying it for a while. Don't just jump from Clifford to those true freshmen. But early returns looking pretty good, at least from that physical development standpoint. Bo Perbula included there. Uh, wide receivers, tight ends, uh, a lot expected, a lot of names you can go through. Um, you pointed to, to wide receiver group and really beyond the starting three as a key position battle on how that is going to shake out with the rotation. Uh, staying with offense, because, again, Mark was really looking at the defense. Uh, what do you see from those two groups? I mean, I think the tight end group, uh, Georgia fans would, would beg to differ in my Twitter mentions, but I think that you can look at it and it's one of the more physically impressive groups that you'll probably see uh, in the country. Um, you look at Theo Johnson was out there doing a lot more than I think we saw him do in the spring. And then Bretton Strange, Tyler Warren, and then Cleo Dinkins has really come along physically too. So it's a very large, imposing group. Um, I think obviously a big thing with them, it comes down to usage, how they're used, how they can produce, where they are in the run game, as James Franklin liked to point out uh, at times this spring. But the tight end group, it it looks as advertised um, in terms of watching them go through drills, looking them compared to some of the other players. So I think that it's easy to feel good about that group um, in general. And then it's kind of like with the offensive line. Once we start getting into live game action, then we can kind of alter our concerns a little bit um, into more specific areas. As for the wide receivers, it was good to see Parker Washington back out there after we didn't see him do too much over the course of practice uh, in the spring. Uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith was out there in his new number one, uh, which I think is a, it looks pretty slimming on him. Um, and then Mitchell Tinsley obviously looks the part of a fifth-year senior, someone who's been around um, for a little while. But yeah, after that, it's really up in the air to me. Uh, Malik Mega is obviously probably the most physically impressive wide receiver in that group, but I really like Harrison Wallace. Uh, They're doing some jump ball drills in, in the corner of the end zone. Harrison Wallace really impressed uh, in that drill. Uh, Jaden Dotton, another third-year guy that we haven't really heard too much about or even really seen. Uh, he also looked 
Um, he looked good doing that drill. He's someone who can jump up. Um, I think he got mentioned by someone in the spring when they were picking their, their starting five uh, for a basketball team. I think he was someone's early selection. So there's some athleticism there. Uh, Caden Saunders, I think, has really gone through um, the strength program and has kind of put himself in a position where he could contribute early. And then it was our first look, uh, really, at Tyler Johnson and Anthony Ivey, two of the other freshmen. Um, they're two players that I don't necessarily expect to see right away, uh, and that's because it's such a crowded room. Um, but it was good to see them out there. You got to get used to seeing some of those new numbers out there. That number eight for Tyler Johnson, that number 12 for Anthony Ivy. Uh, there weren't players at that position wearing those numbers last year. So it had me checking the roster a couple times and, you know, it's, it's preseason camp for the rest of us too. Daniel's got a few really good pieces up on the site this week. Uh, one of them was the position battles to watch review, the other uh, players to keep an eye on. Um, a bunch going on there. Just quickly going through the competitions, we've already hit on a few of them. I'm curious, even though you didn't get to focus in on the defensive uh, players all that much on the practice field on Monday, again, there's a VIP write-up uh, from Mark and from Daniel from Monday up on our site. But wanted to ask you, out of the three spots you highlighted here defensively, safety, linebacker, defensive tackle, which of those compelling ongoing competitions do you think is most pivotal to Penn State's chances for a successful season? I think the defensive tackle battle is the most pivotal uh, just because we saw last year when they lost PJ Mustafer some of the issues that they had against the run game um, and that hurt them so much. So I think the more that you can build depth there um, with whatever Zane Durant can do, how Jordan Vandenberg's coming along, how Keziah Izzard um, and Devon Elise uh, can build off that experience they got last year. A uh, bit of a wild card, your guy, Rodney McGraw, uh, was listed as a defensive tackle on the rosters that we were handed Monday, uh, and he looks a lot bigger. Uh, he's one of those guys that you love to say looks the part um, and is pretty intimidating. So I think defensive tackle, just based off of what we saw last year in terms of that importance, and in terms of Penn State getting a pass rush, if they can really hold things up in the middle with those guys, you've got Adisa Isaac, you've got Chop Robinson, you've got Denai Dennis Sutton, um, you've got some talent that can get off of the edge and get after quarterbacks. So if you combine that with a solid interior, uh, Penn State's in business on the defensive line. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. 
you know, some fun new toys on defense, but some returners that got to step up and take on new roles. Linebacker is one of them. We've talked about it at safety as well. Just a few of the position battles that Daniel spotlighted in his piece on Tuesday morning. Go to lines247.com to check that out. It extends all the way to kicker and punter this year with Jordan Stout now off in the NFL. And uh, we're going to bring in Tyler Calvaruzzo now and keep Daniel on board because those two shared the field on Friday for Penn State's final uh, elite showcase camp of the summer. There were five of them in total. I was looking forward to it, was excited to be with you both, especially once I learned it was Tyler's birthday, uh, but I was laid up in bed with COVID, as we've already discussed. So uh, first off, gentlemen, uh, I'm glad to hear that Daniel got you a birthday scoop and your first ever scoop from the Creamery. Yeah, you know, the Creamery lived up to the experience, lived up to the hype. It was a good experience, 10 out of 10, can't lie. Everyone on the board was telling me it was the real deal. Shout out to you guys. It was a good way well, to it was a good way to cap an afternoon of uh, standing outside in, in the heat, uh, yeah. cool down a little bit, and go into the weekend. It was a nice day, though. I couldn't complain. Yeah, and and, and we we've been telling you for a while that this was an important weekend. We kept saying, "Hey, wait for that last weekend in July." Yeah. No commitments come out of this, and and you know you've had your fair share of commitments and decommitments to cover this summer, but obviously this is a big one where James Franklin referenced it himself last week. It's about making, you know, building that foundation, getting yourself in a good spot with some of the younger prospects. 2024 recruits were a big part of it. Uh, but before we get to the Lash Bash itself, Friday was notable because a quarterback was in town, a few quarterbacks, but a 2023 QB from the Elite 11 that Tyler had been hinting and hinting at, including on this podcast. And you can now say his name and talk about him. So go for it. Yeah, Jackson Smoller from Dallin Catholic in Iowa. He made the trip. You know, he really burst onto the Power 5 scene at the Elite 11 with his performance. California came in with an offer right after that ended. A lot of other Power 5 programs reached out, and Penn State has really pushed for him after losing Marcus Stokes. Finally got him on campus, got him in the camp setting. And Smolik told Greg Biggins that, you know, it wasn't really his best performance, but it was good enough. He got the offer, and Penn State's definitely trending right now with Smolik looking to make a decision sometime before the beginning of his senior season. He wants to wrap things up before his first game of his senior year. And he says it's Penn State's in a pretty good spot. You know, he watched film with the staff. He got the whole full experience. He wasn't able to stay for Lash Bash. He had his sister's birthday party back home. So, you know, he had to hop on he had to hop on a plane back home. But he loved the weekend. And Penn State was pretty pleased with his performance. Even if Smolik himself wasn't, he felt that he didn't perform up to his own high standard that he has for himself. You've got a quarterback here who put himself, you know, on a national radar out in California. He's committed to a school down in Louisiana. Uh, he's going back to, to play high school ball in Iowa, but here in Central PA, he's become the hot name. Um, so, I mean, is it really that simple that now Penn State waits to see what Jackson thinks? And if Smolik believes this is the right fit, this is something that happens quicker rather than waiting and waiting? Or do you feel like Smolik's going to see, wow, things are starting to get hot? Who else wants to get a piece of me? And maybe we see other offers follow this because I think there's two ways you could really navigate this course. Yeah, I don't want to say it's simple just because, you know, it's recruiting. It's always tough to predict what exactly a kid is going to do. And there have been some noise that, you know, with all the other Power Fire programs getting in touch, you know, the Michigans and the Notre Dames of the world, they've been sniffing around. There's been some talk that, you know, maybe some close to Smolik or kind of saying, hey, you might want to let this play out a little bit, make some visits in the fall, see what happens. But right now, it seems like he's leaning more towards wrapping things up sooner rather than later, which leaves Penn State in the best position. And look, even if this were to draw out, I think Penn State would be in a pretty good spot just because that relationship has been established. Smolik was actually at the Penn State-Iowa game last year at Iowa and was rooting for Penn State, coincidentally. So this is something that 
he's very interested in, and it's an opportunity that he values a lot given how hard Penn State has pushed for him right after that Elite 11 performance. So, like I said, it's not really a simplistic situation, but Penn State is in about as good of a spot as it could be in right now, I'd say. I can't trust my own eyes here, guys, because I was not at the camp on Friday, but you were both watching Penn State's former commit, Marcus Stokes, throw the ball back in early June in Beaver Stadium, and you were both watching their newest offer at the position throw the ball around with Mike Yersich uh, intently looking upon him. What did you kind of, I guess, glean from those two experiences? How are these quarterbacks similar, different? I'm certainly not asking you to, to blow sunshine up everybody and say, wow, this is going to be a major upgrade if it happens for Penn State. Honest assessment here, uh, early early review of Smolik and, uh, versus, uh, versus Stokes. It's a question that I've fielded on the board, you know, pretty often ever since that camp ended. And the one thing I would say is Smolik does things well that Stokes maybe doesn't or maybe needs to develop at. And Stokes does things well that Smolik needs to develop at. The thing with Smolik is he's very mechanically put together. He has a good frame. The arm strength is not necessarily a question, but Stokes hasn't beaten that regard. Smolik also has to keep in mind he's coming back from a collarbone injury suffered in his junior year, which has kind of sapped him a little bit of his arm strength on tape. But, you know, the main thing I would say is there's been a lot of Stokes versus Smolik debate. And the staff's obviously not looking at it that way. You know, comparing the two is kind of pointless because it's not like Mike Yersich and James Franklin. They're not watching Jackson throughout camp, and they're not saying, oh, well, Marcus did that and Jackson did that. You know, it, it, that's a pointless exercise for them. They're trying to find the best fit for their offense at this point in time. Stokes is gone. You know, it, it is what it is. He's not coming back. So they have to move on and – Smolik did a lot of good things that showed that he could be a fit in Mike Gerges' offense. And I think that's the biggest thing at the end of the day. He made some good throws. He moved well, which is big. Mechanically, I think he's there. I think he's more advanced in Stokes in that regard. So, yeah, it, it's a debate that's going to rage on. It's probably not going to end. But at the end of the day, they're, they're two quality passers. And I've said it. If Smolik is the guy, you could do a lot worse replacing a guy like Stokes than a kid who went to the Elite 11 and balled out. Stokes and Smolik are, are very different prospects. And yeah. I think kind of like Tyler said, it's you know, Penn State isn't comparing them. Obviously, we can do that and we're in position to do that. But I think that watching them was just kind of different experiences. I think that Stokes was someone when you looked out on the field, just because of the way that he's built, he's tall, lanky, the way that he kind of whips the ball around, you really notice him. He's, he's very eye-catching uh, in that regard. Whereas with Smolik, I think he's a little bit more unassuming. Uh, just with his build. Um, he's very smooth. So there's nothing kind of, there's nothing really, I guess, unique about when you're watching him. But over the course of Friday, I was just very impressed. Um, he was very smooth. Um, he, it, he didn't seem to make too many mistakes. Obviously, in that kind of environment, um, it, it, it can be difficult to gauge things like arm strength, you know, without real live bullets flying. But I thought his deep ball looked good. Uh, he seemed to be able to develop good rapport uh, with some of these receivers uh, pretty quickly. Uh, he was working a lot with the tight end commit, Andrew, Andrew Raffelier, Um, And I think that they developed some chemistry. They seemed to be on the same page. So I think that he kind of made things look, um, I don't want to say he made it look easy, but he just looked confident. He looked composed. He looked collected. And like Tyler said, you're in a position where if you get Jackson Smolik in the class uh, after losing Marcus Stokes, things could have been a lot, lot worse. Smolik took coaching yeah. really well, too. He got better as the day went on as he worked with Mike Gertrude. I think that's that's kind of a little thing you pick on, on in camp, which is why I love camp so much, you know, as the guys get the, that instruction throughout the day. 
how they improve as the camp goes on. And Smolik definitely got better. Once he got to one-on-ones, he was dropping some balls into pretty tight windows, especially to Johnny Shakir, who was fitting some balls in there. And he got better as the day went on, which I think Penn State was really encouraged with. Daniel mentioned him and Andrew Rapier spending a lot of time yeah. together, pitch and catch. Took me back to you know a few years back, something I mentioned on our most recent episode of the podcast when you had an unoffered Will Levis come by. Pat Fryermuth felt like he was jumping up for every rep to share with Levis, and the next day Levis is offered and committed. It's going to be a different process from a timeline standpoint here with Smolik, but it took me back to that a little bit. Um, as you see some of the commits try to get a feel for a potential quarterback in their class. And just hearing from some members of this class, very curious about what Jackson Smolik uh, may bring to the table. And I think it's really interesting because it's not like a name that that has been on their radar or our radar for months and months. It's just one that this is how it works at quarterback. A guy gets hot and, and a month from now, you don't know if Smolik's still uncommitted or he's still committed to Tulane. You could see some more power, some power five, big 10 suitors pop up. And like you said, maybe a question of who can get them on campus uh, over the course of the fall. Yeah, especially because, you know, Purdue just lost its quarterback committee. You know, we're talking about potential big 10 suitors. Purdue just lost Ricky Collins. It looks like he's trending towards LSU now. So now Purdue's in the market for a quarterback and Smolik being a Midwest kid. I mean, granted, it's not something a lot of people want to hear, you know, Penn State versus Purdue on the recruiting trail. A lot of Penn State fans expect to win that battle, but who knows, you know, crazier things have happened. Penn State is in the driver's seat right now, I would say. But if Smolik decides, hey, maybe I want to let this go on a little bit longer, we'll, we'll see who gets in the picture and we'll see who gets some visits. But I think I, I still have the feeling it's going to end sooner rather than later. I will reiterate something Brian Doan said, I think it was early last week, uh, about Penn State recruiting the quarterback position in this cycle. They are not recruiting from an even playing field. They have that guy Drew Aller and Bo Prabula. Yeah just one class ahead of you and you've got to assess that as a quarterback as you look to make your move but look the, the perennial winners in this country of college football they tend to stack up these quarterback classes where there's not much of a lull or if there is they go and, and find a former five star the transfer portal and plug it in for one season so always going to be a, a position we watch closely for now Jackson Smolik stepping up into that spotlight we'll see where it takes us uh Daniel thanks for sticking around to talk a little bit about him I'm going to jump into lash bash some more with Tyler right now but we'll talk with you real soon and uh, see Daniel on the field Saturday at Beaver Stadium for media days. Tyler, as I said, it wasn't just Smolik at, at the quarterback position. K.J. Jackson was in town. He's got an offer, uh, an IMG quarterback, uh, Jalen Bradford, who transferred down there from South Carolina during the winter. He was back on campus. It was his third time he was on campus last summer, got an offer last summer from Mike Yurcich. And uh, this was an interesting one for Jaden Bradford. I have a story up on Lions 24-7 this morning, actually, on Wednesday, about his review of the visit. He's a top 100 prospect in that 2024 class. And that's where a lot of the attention landed uh, on Saturday, it felt like, for Lash Bash. And that's no surprise. They they want the commits on campus from, from the current class, and they want those guys building bonds. They want some top targets from the current class on campus. But a lot of it is about getting, you know, that big wave of momentum built up before these junior seasons and having guys feel really good about Penn State now that they get back to their preseason camp. Um, what do you think about what Penn State put on Saturday and, and, and a lot of the conversations you had coming out of it? I mean, you know, Lash Bash being what it is, the magnitude of the event, Penn State always looks to knock it out of the park with a lot of the recruits that gets on campus for this. I think that's what they accomplished this year. All positive feedback. Guys really enjoyed themselves throughout the afternoon. They all love the scavenger hunt. Every single recruit that I talked to mentioned the scavenger. Every year. Yeah. Every year, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, like such a wide variety of reasons as to why it was their favorite thing, too. They helped them get the camp, get used to the campus. 
They love the competition. It helped them bond with the coaches. So yeah, just stuff, little things like that make such an impact on some of these kids. And it, it was a big weekend. Guys like Kevin Haywood, Jaden Spearman, Emmanuel Ross, all raving about the experience, all raving about the coaching staff and getting closer with them. So I think Penn State accomplished what it wanted to accomplish with building those relationships and positioning itself pretty well with some of its top 2024 targets and some 2023s too. You know, Samuel Singleton from the four-star running back from Florida, he was on campus. That trip went well. So yeah, this was a good weekend all in all. And Samuel Singleton is one we've talked about for a while now with London Montgomery on board with Trayon Webb committing to Florida and, and that all being done in July, in July. This was a visit that we were looking for. Penn State wanted to make its make its case get to know Singleton a little bit more. And now that he's back home, I think they'll have a better feel. Um, this is still a spot where you could see a new running back names, new running back offers emerge over the course of the fall, still lean toward this being a multiplayer class at that position. Although numbers are going to be tight in the class when you get down to it, it might have to be, it's I've said it before, it's not going to be a throwaway offer at running back. It, it's going to be a, a special talent, a guy they see that they can come in here and compete, uh, but also provide that depth. Um, now, when we look at the offensive line, Cooper Cousins, headliner, 2024 class, Jaden Williams up for the 2023 class. But I know Cousins was like very motivated to get on campus and really start things going for the 2024 class. He's a little lonely there, and he's got a couple new offers to work on now. Deontay and Devontae Armstrong, twins out of Lakewood, St. Edward in Ohio. And I know Cousins really enjoyed going shoulder to shoulder with those guys. They were each on campus uh, for the spring game in April as well. Yeah, Cousins was all over those guys on Friday. I mean, yeah. It was pretty impressive the way that he was working them. And they're, they're very interested coming out of the weekend. They were only there for Friday. They didn't get to stay for Lash Bash. They headed closer back to home. They took an unofficial visit to Michigan State to wrap up, wrap things up before the dead period. But they'll be back on campus in the fall. I believe they said they're looking to get back for the whiteout game. That's kind of fluid. You know, they have to figure out their, their schedule throughout the year. But they want to get back. They're, they're very interested. And it's not just a football thing they're interested in. They like the off-the-field aspect of Penn State as well. They like the campus. They like the academics. Those were things they were raving to, about to me. So, yeah, two names definitely that Penn State fans need to know moving forward. Brotherly duo. Impressive offer list. Really big kids. They're both like six, seven. They move really, really well. They drilled well in pretty much every aspect of the camp. So, yeah, two guys Penn State's definitely have on its radar moving forward, and those two are going to have Penn State on their radar moving forward. They're very interested right now. And, and when you continue to kind of navigate um, that class a little bit, 2024, and what Penn State wants to accomplish, I mentioned having some quarterbacks here uh, visiting. Um, what's that to you from a skill position standpoint? Um, from that 2024 group defensively, offensively. I know you caught up with some guys in the last 48, 72 hours. Yeah, I mean, to be completely honest with you, I mean, just coming away from the camp, it, the quarterback play is what really stood out. And then Saturday, you know, guys like Emmanuel Ross getting to campus, Jaden Spearman, he's going to be a guy in the secondary. Those two, you know, you just watch their tape. Ross Ross isn't a guy who's – he didn't camp around a lot this summer, so he's kind of under the radar – but you toss on his tape and you see what he could do at wide receiver, and it's really impressive, man. He's soft hands, good route runner, really fast kid out of Red Bank Catholic in New Jersey. He's up there on Penn State's board right now. Getting him back on campus for last bash was a win. Spearman, another guy, camped during June, caught the eye of the staff, got the offer. He's getting closer with Anthony Poindexter. So those two in terms of skill guys are really standing out. And there were a bunch of other really big named skill guys on campus as well. Rico Scott, Mylon Graham picked up an offer. Tay-Tay Johnson picked up an offer. All those are wide receivers. 
Penn State's kind of working its board there. They're kind of getting themselves situated, getting those guys on campus and getting those offers out. That was something they wanted to do in person. So, yeah, the skill position board is developing. I'm going to have a lot more on that throughout the month online, 24-7, you know, working on a big board, kind of getting those names out there so everyone's really aware of what Penn State's trying to accomplish in the future class. Yeah, we're in that, that we're in that kind of point where now yeah. it's about the final prizes in the in the current class, which is 2023, and then really what's the deal with the next class in 2024? Cooper Cousins, as I said, looking a little bit lonely these days as the one commitment, <laughs> of course, a pretty good one, a top 24-7 prospect. Um, I do want to mention as we work our way down the, that list, Mikey Scott was back in town at yeah. 2025. Ooh, our favorite guy. And I'm telling you, it doesn't have the offer. Doesn't have the size, you know. He's he's under five foot eight right now. He's under 160 pounds right now. He's got three years of high school football ahead of him, but he's going to form a really interesting duo there at Dallas Town with Kenny Johnson, uh, who's committed to Pitt at wide receiver. And this was his third time coming to campus with Penn State this summer. Each time getting better. I know that Taylor Stubblefield uh, has certainly taken note of that. Uh, and based off the feedback Scott got off coming off the practice field uh, this time. He knows he's got to get better in a 40-yard dash. He says he will. He, he told me he's going to go sub 4-4 next year. If he does that, look out. Uh, but he's a guy that I, I continue to say long-term, state of Pennsylvania. This is a receiver to know, uh, Mikey Scott. And then I want to go further down the line, 2026 offensive lineman who did get an offer uh, on, from the camp on Friday, Preston Carey. to be at St. Anthony's in New York, Long Island, offers from schools like Georgia, LSU, Michigan, now Penn State before his first freshman snap. That says something, man. Uh, Preston Carey, yeah. uh, just remember that name for 2026 because this guy uh, is time. bagging a bunch of offers. Already. Yeah, he's big time, man. He he was great throughout Friday's camp. And just the offer sheet speaks for itself. You know, there's only so many things we can say about a kid from an evaluation standpoint when he's in 2026. You know, he's still developing. He's still growing into his frame, still improving the technique and all that kind of stuff. But when you have that kind of offer list, as I mean, come on, man. Like, you know what kind of level <laughs> prospect we're talking about here. There's not much more that needs to be said with him. And I mean, with Mikey Scott, I don't think I've ever seen a receiver who's listed at five foot seven right now play as big as him. Like, the way he goes up and gets some of these jump balls over DBs who have four or five inches on him, it's like, man, this kid's got it. And, if he gets to 5'8", which, I mean, I think he will, he's still growing. He's still putting on a lot of size just in general throughout his whole frame. I mean, he's definitely going to be an offer candidate. And if he runs that sub 4'4", I mean, forget about it. I think even if he gets in the 4'4 range, he's going to be a guy. Because Stubblefield sees it every single camp. Like, he gets better. He takes to his coaching so well. He's taking everything that he picks up at these Penn State camps, applies them to his game, and then he comes back the next time and does all of that at such a high level. And, you know, we keep talking about him for a reason. You know, we're, we're not just talking to talk. This kid goes out there and makes plays repeatedly. And yeah. I'm really interested to see what he does as sophomore. I mean, him lining up opposite Kenny Johnson, that's going to be a hell of a duo out there. Yeah, told me he's going to also be playing more cornerback, playing more uh, return man on special teams. So his his role will grow, and he will grow. He's got three yeah. high school seasons ahead of him. Uh, just one of those names that, uh, you know, continuing to, to kind of work our way out of camp season. He keeps showing up and he kept balling out uh, and, and a young player to know here on the Pennsylvania scene. Um, one other note I wanted to get to because I didn't want to bury this headline and everything else that was happening this weekend. But you reported that a 2023 Georgia defensive back, uh, Colton Hood, is going to visit Penn State in the fall. And at this point, when we're hearing about long distance visitors in the 2023 class, it turns your head a little bit. Tell us more about this one. Yeah, Colton Hood, cornerback out of East uh, Eagles Landing. 
Christian and Georgia, you know, that's a school Penn State's been involved with guys like Zachariah Owens throughout the cycle. It's a program that produces a lot of really good players. They're all really well-coached kids, and when they get to the next level, they're ready to roll. And I think Hood kind of falls into that category. He's maybe flown a little bit under the radar in the sense that he's kind of skinnier, but you you get him in the college strength and conditioning program with the nutrition and all that, he's going to be good to go at corner as an outside guy. And, yeah, he, he's aiming to visit right now at some point during the fall. It's looking like the whiteout game in October. That's not set in stone, but October is probably going to be the month he gets on campus. He was at Michigan State for an official visit in June. It looked like the Spartans were in a really good spot to lock him down. They kind of backed off a little bit, and things have kind of opened back up for him now. You know, obviously, he's getting out to Penn State. Wake Forest has been pushing really hard. I know they want to get him on campus in the fall. So those two are standing out to him right now. And you know, October is obviously a long time from now. We'll see what happens just with the way that the cornerback board takes shape. You know, Zion Tracy's another guy who camped on Fridays in 2023. He's prepping at St. Thomas More in Connecticut. And I mean, he was arguably the star of the day. I mean, he, he was going head to head with the Johnny Shakir and he was making life really, really difficult on the Penn State commit during one on ones. I mean, he was all over him. And he he tested incredibly well. His 40 yard dash, man. That kid is a burner, and it's easy to see why he's on the Power 5 radar. He'll probably be back in September for what's looking like will be an official visit. And this is one of those situations where, from what I've gathered from Tracy and those familiar with his recruitment, Penn State's kind of dictate – they're going to dictate the way this one plays out, just in the sense that if Penn State decides that it wants to push – Tracy's going to have a really strong affinity for the Nittany Lions. Rutgers is really involved with him. He's made visits to Boston College and Michigan – not Michigan, excuse me, Minnesota. He's made visits there. We'll see if offers come. But if Penn State wants to push for Zion Tracy, they're, they're going to be in the best spot to land him at the end of the day. That's the way that recruitment's trending. So, yeah, two 2023 quarterback, cornerbacks who are going to visit in the fall. You know, it, it, it feels like a long ways away, but it really isn't at the same time. So – we're going to have some insight on those two guys coming up real soon. Yeah, 18 commits on board for 2023, the number eight class in national rankings. And I guess I'll leave you with this one. We're in August now. We've heard Kavion Keys wants to decide uh, sometime this month. I'm assuming that remains the case, although that's a recruitment you got to stay updated on. Carmelo Taylor wasn't quite ready to give us his decision in July. Wide receiver who paid a visit to Penn State this summer. With all that said, just a couple names that we're kind of been, you know, waiting on announcements from. What do we need to be aware of here in the upcoming weeks? Because a lot of the attention on the show, and for a lot of Penn State fans, is going to shift towards September 1st kickoff against Purdue. What is kind of undone and could be done during these last few weeks of the summer? You kind of really just touched on the, the big two that I, I had in mind once you posed that question. You know, Kavion Keys, he actually made it back to North Carolina for an unofficial before the end of the dead period. And, you know, how about that? Yeah, it, it's a really close race. You know, Penn State had its post-official visit momentum, and I still think that's there. It, this is this is a really tight battle, man. I, that's just the best way to kind of sum it up. It's 50-50, man. It's tough. It, it's really between Penn State and North Carolina. I know Virginia Tech's kind of in the mix, but they didn't get the official during June. You know, I think they're kind of on the outside looking in. And then with Carmelo Taylor, you know, it's a good thing for Penn State by default that he pushed off his decision. Cause if he announced on the 31st and July 31st, like he was originally planning, it, it wasn't going to be the Nitty lines. It was probably going to be South Carolina. And, you know, I've said on this podcast time and time again, I'll always respect when a kid decides to push back because he really wants to dive in and make sure he's making the best decision for him. We see so many rushed decisions these days and kids backing out and taking visits elsewhere. I, I think Mello is putting himself in a position where 
he wants to make the decision that he's most informed and what's best, what he feels is best for him and his family. So maybe this won't have to drag out into the fall as we've kind of speculated it will. Maybe he's kind of pushing things back. So once he makes that commitment, that's going to be that and he can focus on his senior season. So yeah, those two, Nikhil Bertrand's another one, you know, the Philadelphia big Philly offensive tackle. He's down at St. Francis in Baltimore. Now he's announcing soon. It won't be Penn state for him. It looking like Texas A&M right now. They're the crystal ball leaders. The Aggies are trending. And the big thing with him is, you know, I know the offensive tackle board has been a pretty hot topic of conversation with Evan Lincoln, Stanton Ramil going elsewhere. Penn State never really got the chance to watch Bertrand work in person. So that, that's something that's kind of been a hold up there. You know, if he commits to A&M and they see him in the fall and Penn State decides to push, who knows what's going to happen? You know, he's been very interested, Pennsylvania native. But if he's committed elsewhere, who knows how receptive he'll be? Just one of those things we're going to have to wait and see. So those three, and Michael Mays is another one. He announcing in August, you know, he wound up not making it to Penn State last weekend. So he's trending Wake Forest's way. So those are the guys, really, the big names that are announcing in August that Penn State fans kind of have to keep an eye on, you know, as, as they kind of dive headfirst in the fall camp and everything that's going on in State College. I, I did wait a while because that was kind of a one-two gut punch with Ramil and Link yeah. coming off the board to the names that we've talked about for a long time at Tackle. Javen Williams was on this podcast not too long ago. Uh, discussing them as priority targets. You've got a piece up, by the way. Uh, where does where does Penn State look to next on the offensive line? Some people may read it and say, well, crap. And some people yeah. may, may read it and say, hey, look at these new possibilities. Um, but if Penn State's got to turn elsewhere. Uh, you'll be on the case, as always, on lines247.com. Uh, no days off on the recruiting wow, trail. Man, I never. Really appreciate you, man. Uh, sorry we didn't get to spend camp together on Friday. You knew where I was. I was in bed. Yeah. Uh, but 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 next time around, we'll talk to you real soon, though, man. For sure, man. I'm just glad you're feeling better, man. That's the most important thing. I appreciate it. I'm uh, feeling a little bit better. I'll feel a lot better when we're back in Beaver Stadium on Saturday. Get a chance to speak with coaches, players about this upcoming Penn State football season. We're now 29 days away from the Nittany Lions kicking off against Purdue on a Thursday night to start off September. Thanks to my colleagues, Daniel Gallen, Tyler Calvaruzzo, our producer, Lance Glenn. I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you real soon on the next Lions 24-7 podcast. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve dollars and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control-Alt-Desire, now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.